Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Faye, I'm ready to... It's going to be wonderful. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to grab your phone and uh, Google search Ephesians chapter 4 so that you can have a copy of the scripture in front of you. I'm going to be reading Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6, and those words will be on the screens behind me. Uh, Out of reverence for the Lord and his word, would you stand with me now as we listen together for the word of the Lord? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me, please? God of immeasurably more, we praise you and worship you. And in these moments, we ask that you would make us one. One, the way the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. One, the way that we share one faith and one baptism. One, in the way that your one Spirit breathes and moves among us. Lord, shape us and form us. Transform us from the inside out that we might participate in the fullness of all you long to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you, if you have your uh, immeasurably more journal, to turn with me to page 20. It's uh, right inside the back cover. Uh, There's a space there that you can uh, take notes so that you can have your immeasurably more uh, information there together. If you don't have your immeasurably more journal, you can use uh, the Life Group page there that's got sermon notes on it. would love for you to grab a pen and jot some things down as we go. I think that's the best way for you to uh, remember and get something out of this that you can use uh, this week as you seek to live as a lifetime follower of Jesus. I heard a story about a man who was stranded on a desert island Uh, And every day while he was there, uh, he sent smoke signals up uh, from the beach, uh, hoping to attract the attention of a ship that might see him. And so every morning he would get up and he would build a fire and he would send smoke signals up, uh, hoping that a passing ship might see him uh, and that ultimately uh, they would come and rescue him. Uh, He did this every day for 10 years before finally a ship saw him from the distance, saw the smoke signal. Someone on the ship alerted the captain and said, we think that there may be someone on that island. Uh, Should we go and check it out? And the captain said, yes, we're going to go and we're going to see what's happening. So they moved the ship over closer to the island. Uh, And as they got closer to the island, the captain looked at the edge of the island. And on the island, he could see there were were three huts and then the one man who was sending up the smoke signals. 
Uh, and so he uh, stopped the ship and he had a little smaller boat that he uh, sent to the shore to, to rescue the man. And the man got in the boat and he came back. And when he got on the big ship, he walked up to the captain and he just gave him this huge bear hug and embraced him and said, thank you so much for rescuing me. And the captain looked at me and said, well, we're glad to do it. Uh, is everything okay? He said, yes, I'm great. He said, well, where are the rest of the people? Uh, and he said, oh, it's just me. And he said, but there were three huts on the shore. He said, oh, oh, oh. he said, I can explain that. Uh, he said, the first hut there, he said, that's where I live. And he said, the, the second hut, the one that's next to it, he said, that's where I go to church. And the captain said, okay, well, what about the third hut? He said, oh, he said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> the church may not always have given the best demonstration of unity in the world. Even when there's only one of us, it can still be difficult. And now, by some records, there are almost 34,000 different denominations in our world. Uh, and so we aren't always the best example of unity. But yet the truth remains that when the people of God begin to move and work in unity... No matter how big or small the group, God does something immeasurably more. He shows up and works that there is a spiritual unlocking and breaking through that comes when we move and work in unity. This isn't just luck. It isn't because if we happen to work in unity that God will uh, hit us with his magic wand and kind of give us the special flavor that will make everything be nice and charming for a little while. The reason for this is clear. Uh, it's biblical, and it's a promise that we can lean into from God. In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul writes to a community and a really a, a whole area of the world of that day, uh, trying to unpack for them the, the picture of what God has done. And for the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, uh, all Paul wants to do is explain the incredible work of God. It is one of the best snapshots that we have in those three chapters of really walking through the whole movement of God. And, and what we see is that God uh, has just done this incredible work of rescue and redemption and reconciliation. Uh, and from the very beginning, from a world that was broken and from religions that were uh, spread out and, and, and separated and splintered and all these things, is that God brought forth in Jesus Christ the one who is the great unifier. Uh, and that through Jesus' work and through the power of the Spirit, conquering death and uh, raising in the resurrection that we will gather here to celebrate next week, that God broke down the barriers and that the culminating work, that the climax of this story that God was writing was that he brought forth together a new community. And it was a new community where no longer people's identity or their races or their ethnicity or uh, where they were from or their socioeconomic status or any of those things mattered. Because what began to bind them all together was the transforming work that Jesus had done in their life. It was an incredible and phenomenal thing that Paul had been on the front row and seen happen, that he had seen the story being written in those people's lives, and he wanted to remind people over and over again of this is the work that God has done, and I don't want you to miss what an incredible story it is. 
If you've been with us over these last six weeks, then this is familiar. Because where we began the Immeasurably More initiative uh, six weeks ago was at the very end of what Paul writes in the front half of the book of Ephesians. Because as he's telling that story about what God has done, recounting this incredible, powerful work of the Lord, he almost kind of trips over himself as he talks about it. He gets so excited that he erupts into prayer. And the prayer, which is also a promise, are the very last seven verses of chapter 3, is the foundation of all that we're doing for these next two years. It is the basis of immeasurably more. And that it's out of this incredible work of God that Paul writes this prayer and that he begins to cry out that, that for these people, that for everyone who maybe wasn't there in the moment that they experienced it firsthand and in that first moment, that they would experience the more transformation and the more impact that God longs to bring in their lives. And so he prays this incredible prayer where he says, I want you to be strengthened in your inner being. I want you to experience the power of God working in you. I want the, the love of God to take root in your life in ways greater than you could ever ask or imagine. And ultimately, I want you to be filled to the fullness of God, that you would live in this place of wholeness, of divine and human union, where you would live walking in the way of God, that your inner life would be Christ-like and that your outer life would honor the Father in all it does. And then he lays down this kind of doubling down this reason that he has such confidence in this. He says, because we have the God who can do immeasurably more. We've seen him do it. We've seen him do it through the work of Jesus. We've seen him do it through breaking down these cultural and historical barriers, these uh, places of exclusion that had been present for centuries. That God was able to erase all of that. He says, this is the God who no matter how dark or desperate or hopeless you may feel, that he can do immeasurably more. And so he ends that front half of the book of Ephesians painting this incredible picture saying that he wants everyone to understand and know this. For three chapters, all he has done is challenge people to say, this is what God has done. He has been all about instruction and intercession up to this point, teaching and praying for the people. And it's only after those first three chapters that he turns the corner. And for the first time in the, the book of Ephesians, he actually encourages the people to do something. For three chapters, it was, this is what God has done. And now he's going to get to, and this is what you should do out of response to it. He builds this incredible picture, paints all of the colors of what it is that God has done. And he says, now, let me encourage you. Let me exhort you with what it is that you should do in response to this. Uh, it's amazing if you really stop and think about it, because at this moment, when you think of the grandness of the picture that Paul has just painted, of what he could have asked the people to do, what the very first thing that he could have said, this is the response that you should make in response to what God has done. I mean, he could have come down with anything. I mean, he could have talked about love. He could have talked about worship. He could have said, go to church. He could have said, spend less time on Instagram. I mean, he could, have, you know, he could have come up with anything. And he could have put it, and people would have gone, for centuries, would have gone, yes, this is the response that we should make. But the thing that Paul chooses, the thing that the Holy Spirit inspires him to put in this place, is to maintain unity. He says, this is the thing. That above all other things, the first thing you need to do is to maintain unity. Why in the world 
out of the incredible response of what they had seen with the thing that he asked people to do in response to what God has done be to maintain unity. I'll give you a hint. It has everything to do with immeasurably more. You see, because there's this thing that happens when God moves and works in a powerful way. Uh, what happens when we participate and experience God working and moving in a powerful way is that we experience unity. It can't not happen. It's just kind of what happens when God moves. All of a sudden, our focus is taken off of ourselves. No longer are we concerned about making sure that we get what we need or you know, thinking that we've got to make sure we get what we deserve. And no longer are we so harsh and quick to judge and uh, think critically of the people around us that we kind of fill ourselves with more grace. Uh, and immediately we get focused on what God is doing and on what God is up to and why that is more important than anything else. And out of that, there's this incredible experience of kind of this oneness and togetherness and unity that you can't really describe fully and that you can't get anywhere else. My hunch is that you've experienced this in some way. You may not know you've experienced, but you have. Uh, just last fall, uh, one of the things that we did uh, in the fall as we were finishing our time in the sanctuary and we were getting ready for this year was uh, Patrick and the discipleship team led Alpha. Many of you sat in this room on Wednesday nights and participated in Alpha. We had about 75 or 80 folks uh, that were a part of the Alpha uh, course. And as a part of the Alpha course, one of the things that they ask you to do is to have a retreat. That about halfway through the Alpha course that you would have a retreat and you would spend uh, two days or at least a day away uh, where you could really focus and worship and be together and invest in each other and spend time learning and uh, praying together. Uh, and so we did that. And so on a Saturday last fall, uh, about 25 of the people who were participating in the Alpha Course spent uh, a day away out of the Sportsplex. And we sat in one of those meeting rooms at the Sportsplex. You've probably been in those rooms many of times. Uh, and we had this incredible moment. And as a part of that day, one of the things that happened was we had a very intentional prayer time, uh, worship and prayer time, uh, where Patrick was leading us, and I got up, and I prayed, and, I, uh, and we just invited the Holy Spirit uh, to come and work and move among us. Uh, and it was one of the most powerful and beautiful experiences of worship I've ever had. Uh, people just began to open up, and they prayed for each other, and they cared for each other, and uh, there were tears, not in any kind of manipulative way, but just as a response to God's presence among us. And you couldn't help it, but in that moment, there was a sense of unity among those 25 people. All different people, folks who've been at this church, all different kinds of times, all, all kinds of things. And, and there was this incredible sense. And everyone in the room felt it. Uh, you know, I didn't necessarily stand up and go, you feel that? That's unity. Uh, but over the course of the next few weeks, I bet half the people who were there that day came up and said, oh my gosh, there was just something about that day. It was so powerful. You know, we were connected in a way that, that we weren't before. Because when God moves in your midst, you can't not have unity. Uh, many of you have, uh, just this week, someone sat in my office and told me about their experiences going to Honduras as a part of a mission team from this church. This church has sent like 250 people to Honduras for short-time mission work. You, you've been on retreats or other things. And, and what's ended up happening is you've encountered God working in a powerful way in a place like that. And all of a sudden, everything else fades away. You're recognizing God's presence, and there's this connection and sense. That's why people, when they come back from a mission trip, are like, we got to get together and eat dinner together. we got to share our pictures. It's because something has happened, and there's this cohesiveness and unity and oneness that you can't get anywhere else. That's the exact same thing 
that had been going on with the Ephesian people. Uh, That's the same thing that had happened when Paul painted that picture in the first three chapters of Ephesians, is that they had seen God do something phenomenal and amazing, and they couldn't help but have experienced unity. And so when Paul gets to this point in the letter, he says, I don't want that to go away. Because it isn't that we won't experience unity when God moves in our midst. It's that Paul doesn't want our faith life to be like a string of pearls where we're just waiting for these happenstance moments where maybe we happen to encounter God in some powerful way that's you know, just outside of ourselves and we string that onto the string and then we hope that someday maybe we'll get another moment like that. He says that God wants to give us this sense of unity more often than we often expect it. And so what he says is, you know, I'm glad you had that really good experience. And now I want you to maintain the unity because you can continue to live in that place. Now, thankfully, Paul, the way he works, and we've seen this over and over again in Paul's writings, is he doesn't just kind of do a drive-by teaching. Uh, Paul always gets into more detail than maybe you were asking him to get into. Uh, And so he actually says, I want you to maintain the unity, but here is what you need to have to do it. And what we see is if you look at verses 2 and 3 in that uh, text that I read a few minutes ago, is Paul lays out four characteristics, four behaviors, if you will, that that are kind of the, the, the fundamental pieces of unity. The first two are humility and gentleness. Those are both dispositions about how you view yourself, about how you show up, about how you make yourself present in a place. And what he says is that, that, that when you experience unity, uh, that humility and gentleness begin to come out of you in that place. That you take the, the focus off of yourself. That the spotlight moves off of yourself. It's not that you think less of yourself. It's that you think of yourself less. And you begin to act in a softer and kinder and gentler way. The second two that he talks about, as he says, are patience and bearing with one another in love. And both of those are ways that we interact with other people around us. And that when we're in these places of unity, that we begin to give grace to other people. That we no longer look at each other as critically as maybe we would have before. And that we begin to to treat other people perhaps the way that we would like to be treated. And the amazing twist that Paul puts on this is he says that these are characteristics of what happens when we observe God moving and when we experience unity. He says, but these are also behaviors that you can use to cultivate unity. That if you will begin to show up in this way, If you will begin to show up in this way, if you will act and live with humility, if you will act and live with gentleness, if you will act and live with patience, if you will act and live with bearing with one another in love, that these are the ingredients to create unity. And when we cultivate unity, it readies us for immeasurably more. Because it's in those places of unity where you've been, where God has moved, that we've encountered God in the fullest way, that he's written new chapters in our lives, that he's furthered the story or called us to ministry or spoken a word into our life or helped us through a situation. And so what Paul says as he paints this incredible picture 
And he prays this prayer that we've based all of this on. He says, I don't want that to just be one-time thing that happened in the rearview mirror. That I want this to be the story of your life. That I want you to live in a way that cultivates unity. That as you act with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, that you can cultivate unity among you, that oneness and that togetherness. And out of that, you can create the seed, the, the ground, the soil for immeasurably more. As you cultivate unity, as you live thinking of yourself less, as you live caring for those around you more, you can cultivate and ready the soil for God to grow immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. So what do we do with that on this Palm Sunday and as we prepare to come here at the end of our service and turn our commitment cards in? How do we put that into action as we begin this two-year journey of immeasurably more at First United Methodist Church? I think it might look like this. I've told you before about uh, the camp that my family goes to in Texas every summer that we just absolutely love. Uh, and one of the things that we love about that uh, camp uh, is the college kids that they have working there. They recruit college kids from all over the country to come and uh, help lead programs and pour into the children and adults and everyone and uh, you know, from the folks that work in the cafeteria and help you know, run the swimming pool and all those kind of things. Uh, they're there uh, and they're seeking to live in the most Christ-like way they can and they're these great examples for your kids it's just a, a wonderful experience. And, and before camp ever starts, before they ever have the first family show up for camp, they bring all those college kids in uh, for a couple weeks of training, and they just pour into them intense discipleship, teaching them, loving them. Uh, and they're, they're teaching them ways to be, to show up over the course of the summer that they serve. And one of the lines that they pour into those kids over and over and over again is this. There you are, not here I am. There you are, not here I am. And they teach these kids, and they say, wherever you go this summer, we want you to show up in that space thinking, there you are, not here I am. And so when you walk into a room and somebody's telling a story, your goal isn't to figure out how you can tell a story that beats that. Your goal is to go, tell me more about your story. When you're sitting at the table and somebody says, hey, could you get me some more uh, tea in my cup here? Your goal isn't to think about your own comfort going, well, I'm real comfortable and I've got plenty of tea right now. You can get your own. But you say, there you are, not here I am. That when you're tired and you've done a lot, but you see a need around you, you say, there you are, not here I am. And what you see over the course of the summer out of those college kids is the work of Ephesians 4 in their midst. Unity, unlike anything you've ever experienced, and immeasurably more growing up all around. What would First United Methodist Church look like if we cultivated unity? If we lived with a there you are, not here I am posture, that if for these next two years, that became our mantra of how we would show up and how we would act. For six weeks, we've been pounding the drum as we've talked about these commitment cards. 
that the number one goal is 100% participation. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you a few minutes to pray, and then as we end the service today, we're going to come and offer our cards. But I'm going to remind you one more time that immeasurably more is not about the money at all. It really is about 100% participation, not because we want uniformity of everybody doing the same thing, but because we want unity of people beginning to think, there you are, not here I am. And when we come and turn a card in in a few minutes, it encapsulates everything we've talked about for the last six weeks. From surrender, uh, to trust, to generosity, to sacrifice, to commitment, and now to cultivating unity. That if you want to participate, if you want to create the environment where God can grow immeasurably more in your life, that this is just a tangible way to do it. And so I'm going to give you a few minutes to pray. Some of you may uh, have come ready to turn a card in today. Maybe you brought your card with you. Uh, Some of you may not have any idea what we're talking about. Uh, And so you may want to grab one of the cards off the seats around you. Uh, And you're going to have a couple minutes to pray. And as you pray, I'm just going to encourage you to say, uh, Lord, what would it look like if we were a church that cultivated unity? What would it look like if we experienced that power of God at work among us in bold ways? What would the immeasurably more be? If you're with your spouse or a family member, you might want to pray together in this moment. Uh, If you've come and uh, the Lord's tugging on your heart and maybe you want to take the card you brought and stick it in your pocket and get another one, fill it out, you do whatever you need to do in these moments to be ready. Because our goal has been the same from the very beginning, that when we respond in a moment, I'm just going to invite you to ask God what it is that he wants you to do, and then I'm going to invite you to come forward and do it. After we've had a few minutes to pray, I'll come back up and invite us to come forward But right now, as you begin to pray, as you begin to think about what God wants, I want you to remember that as we cultivate unity, it readies us for immeasurably more. Will you join me as we pray together?